All right. The book of Jude. Book of Jude. We've done a couple of weeks of introduction work. And today we actually begin the text uh, itself. We're gonna, the goal here is to cover just maybe, maybe one or two verses, probably as far as we'll get. Well, let's do some basic review. Some basic review. Simply, well, we, we, first of all, we talked about three very important concepts before we actually even got into an outline or anything with the book or started doing the background of the book. And those three important concepts were, if everybody remembers, the, the phrase, the faith, which talks about the importance of defining the faith, defining the faith. We went through the history of who defines the faith. We have the church and scriptures, but we have to have a definition. We have to have a definition of what the faith is. Right? I cannot stress that enough. Then we talked about the attacks that come to the faith, and those attacks show up in which two forms? One as an invasion, which refers to what? An external attack, yes. And then we talked about an insurgency, which arises from within. Okay, And again, one of the key ways of fighting both is definition, 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 definition. All right, once we did that, we started looking at kind of an overview of the book of Jude. I'm not going to have you go through everything that we talked about. We used the Bible dictionary in order to do this. But let's remind ourselves, I said I was going to repeat this over and over and over. Jude is a letter, and I'll stop right there, that what? Jude? There we go. Jude is a letter written to the church to do what? To stop or protect negative influences. Because those negative influences are trying to do what to the church? Okay, (laughs) destroy the church, right? Destroy the church. All right, so Jude is a letter written to the church to try to protect it and defend it against that which is trying, those negative influences which are trying to destroy the church. How does he do this? How does the writer of Jude attempt to do this? By unmasking the false teaching with pointed language and vivid images and with appealing to the faithful members, um, the faithful to remember the teaching of the apostles. So Jude is a letter written to try to protect the church from the negative influences that are attempting to destroy the church. Right, just make sure you have that down. I'm going to ask that every week until we've done with the book of Jude, over and over. It's a letter written to protect the church from negative influences that are seeking to destroy the church. Whether from without or from within, Jude is going to try to attempt to do to, to protect the church by unmasking the false teachers and calling the faithful to remember the teaching of the apostles. If you need any help with that, that's basically the first paragraph for the entry in the Bible di- on the, from the Bible Dictionary. If you need to write it down or to have it down so that you can remember it. All right? We, we gave kind of the outline that was provided in the Bible Dictionary. Okay? And the Bible Dictionary refers to the first part of Jude as what? If anyone remembers. Okay, I think they may say greeting and salutation. What else? Does anybody else, uh, anything else that we could say about the first part? 
We're going to refer to it this way, all right, just, just to speed everything up here. We're going to refer to verse 1 and 2 as the greeting. Verse 1 and 2 as the greeting. Let's read it. When I say Jude chapter 1, you just Jude verses 1 through 2, we could state it that way. We're referring to this as a greeting. I am referring to the book of Jude, remember, as a manual for survival. It's a manual and how the church can survive these negative influences. They're seeking to destroy it. So that's kind of what we're calling this series, Jude, a manual for survival. Now we're going to focus on the first two verses this morning. Don't know how far we'll get, but we will see. All right, here we go. Jude, verses 1 and 2. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. All right, stop right there. Two verses. Verses that are easy to do what? Just skip and move on and not pay any attention to. But they are the greeting of this letter. So let's break it down. What do we have? You, you can throw these out and, and you, can, you can offer your suggestions. I already have things written down. But what do we have in this greeting? So if we're doing an outline, it would be greeting. And then our sub points are going to be the things we find within this greeting. What are the things we find in the greeting? All right, someone just said we have the author, okay? Would everyone agree that uh, with that? Yes, we have the author, okay? You can just put down author. What's the second thing we have? Well, think of it this way. Okay, so the first word in the book is what? Jude, all right, author. Okay, then it gives the, the, basically the identity of the author, some different things to help us know about the author. Yes. And then immediately, Jude to the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And then the next two words are to them. So we have the author and what else do we have? The recipients. We have the author and we have the recipients. So the greeting really comes down to two major parts right here. To the, uh, we have the author the recipients, what else do we have? Author, recipients, there's one other thing we have in the greeting. Okay, we have in verse 2, what do we want to call that? What do we want to call verse 2? Someone just said encouragement. What else do we have? What else could it be? Any other titles for it that you would want to call it? Anybody? Feel free to throw out any idea. Okay. Right? Well, remember with our outlines, we don't want to offer any in we don't want to offer any kind of interpretation. Remember that's a no-no, right? So what ever, Okay. Well, we, the the whole section is the greeting. First 1 and 2 is the greeting. So we have the author we have the recipients, and then we have something in verse 2. The best we have so far is an encouragement. Anybody want to call it anything else? Okay, yeah, yeah. let, let me see if, uh, if Twyla is offering anything in, in the chat. Let's see. Um, 
No, she has not offered anything. So nobody, nobody has any other ideas. So Stephen is, Stephen is going to be the one. Oh, okay. Twyla is referring to it as a blessing. Okay. Right? That's, kind of, that's possibly a, a good thing to call it. Right? I, I'm, I'm letting you guys. I'm letting you guys. Anything, anybody else? I mean, come on. It's, it's not like, don't be scared. Okay. <laughs> don't be scared. Everybody's like, oh, well, I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say. All right, trying to think of a word. All right. <laughs> all right. We're, we'll, leave it, we'll leave it with encouragement right now. All right. Okay. We'll leave it with encouragement right now. All right. So we have, we have the author, we have the recipients, and we have, we'll call it the encouragement. We'll see if that holds, we'll, we'll see if we, we, that holds by the time we get to the end, all right? We'll, we'll see if we, we may change our mind by the time we get to the end, okay? We may switch it to a blessing, we may, we may keep it encouragement, we'll, we'll, we'll change. So that's why your outline should always be in pencil, because at any moment we could change it, okay? All right, so the three major parts are, again, in Jude versus, we have the greeting, and the three major parts of the greeting are author, recipients, encouragement. All right. Let's start with the author, okay? Let's start with the author. Now, as the author identifies himself, he identif- what's the first way he identifies himself? He starts with the word, the servant, right? Jude, the servant, right? So let's do a little work here. The first way Jude, Jude identifies himself, or the first way the author identifies himself, you could say the first way is he gives his name, Jude, you could say the name is the first way he identifies himself, but he identifies himself as the servant. So let's do this. Let's do some work on the Greek word that is used here, or that is, that, that is translated servant, all right? So if you have the Blue Letter Bible app, let's do a little work here, all right? Because it is an interesting, this is a, a common, I, I guess it's interesting, but it's also somewhat common, uh, to go with this description. But we have Jude, the servant. Okay, yes. All right, someone already said the Greek word. Here we go. I'm going to find it. It is, here we go. It is this Greek word. Oh, I'm going to have to turn. I'm going to have to do this. I'll have to turn that back on in a minute. Here we go. It is this Greek word. Strong's G, 1401, doulos, doulos. It's the Greek word doulos. Now, we, you'll notice that in the King James, it's used how many times? 127, which means we're not going to go through all 127 uh, references unless we absolutely had to. But I don't think there's much uh, difficulty here. First of all, it's translated, uh, it's used 127 times. It's translated servant 120 times. Bond six times, bond man one time, all right? So there's no major controversy that you can translate this servant. What is Strong's definition for it? A slave, literal or figurative, involuntary or voluntary. Frequently, therefore, in a qualified sense of subjection, right, or subservancy, bond man or servant. Now, Outline of biblical usage gives us this. It refers to a slave, 
bondman, man of servile condition, a slave. Now, this is very important. One who gives himself up to another's will. Those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men. All right, I want you to write this phrase down that Jude identifies himself as a person who gives himself up to another's will. Jude identifies himself as a person who has given himself up to another's will. Does he identify whose will he's given himself over to? Yes. Verse 1 says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. Jude identifies himself as a person who's given himself over to the will of Christ. Now, what does it mean to give yourself over to the will of someone else? What does that, what does that kind of indicate? That you're giving up your will, your wants, your desire, your purpose, your hopes, your dreams, your comfort for someone else's purpose and someone else's will. That's a powerful way to identify yourself. Powerful way to identify yourself. All right? Now, let's do this. All right? Let's continue, look, at, look, look at the next part of the definition or uh, the outline of biblical usage. Devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest. That's a powerful st- I would write this down. Jude identifies himself as one who has given himself over to another's will. And he is given, he's identifying himself as being devoted to another to the disregard of his own interest. Jude identifies himself as someone who's given himself up to another's will and that he is devoted to another to the disregard of his own interest. Meaning, Jude, and whose interest has he, he's disregarding his own interest and for whom? For Christ, right? Jude 1, what does it say? Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. A servant of Jesus Christ. It it gives us all the information we need. So Jude is someone who has done what? Number one, given himself up to another's will. Number two, devoted to another to the disregard of his own interest. To the disregard of his own interest. I want you to have those written down. Now, we could leave it right there, right? We could all pat ourselves on the back and go, whoa, we know a lot about Jude, right? Jude's a servant. You know what the Greek word for servant is? Doulos. You know what doulos represents? It represents that Jude has done what? Given himself up to another's will. Who's that? That's Jesus Christ. He's given himself up to the will of Christ. He has disregarded his own interest for the interest of others. Wow, and we can walk away and sound really smart. But what would be a very good question a Bible student should ask right here at this point? Right, right here, what, what, what would be a good question that a good a Bible student should ask right here? What would be a great question for a, a Bible student to ask right here?
Now, I'm, I'm asking, like, when I read this about Jude, he, that he's a servant, doulos. Doulos means to give yourself up to the will of another and to what? Disregard your own interest for the interest of someone else. The minute I realize that that's how Jude identifies himself, what question should I ask myself right then and there as a good Bible student? No. Wouldn't a good question be, are we referred to as doulos? I would hope that would be a good question you would ask yourself. If he's referred to as doulos, and we see what doulos means, are we as believers referred to as doulos? Now, the word is used how many times? 120. If you have the Blue Letter Bible app, you can look at all the references. Start scrolling through the references and see if any of them refer to to us as Christians as doulos. See, who can find a a reference? And maybe after we're done with all 127, we won't. Remember, I I don't always like to give you the answer. I like you to find the answer. Find me a scripture where Christians are referred to as servants of Christ, and it uses the word doulos. That would be a pretty important thing to consider, right? You can walk away just saying, I know this about Jude, but it's a whole different thing if Sir, uh, that he refers himself as a servant, and then we are called the very same thing in other passages of Scripture, which would mean what's implied. That we're to be like Jude. So let's see if that's true. See if anybody can find a reference where we are referred to as doulos. And, we, and if you find a reference that we are called doulos, the question is, who is calling us doulos? Very important. You can, you can just look up the word. I mean, well, I mean, right, if you got the Blue Letter Bible app, it's going to give you every reference, so. All right, so we're going to, nobody found anything in, uh, in any of the Gospels, so. All right. Okay, applicable to us, Okay. That's all right. Romans may be, uh, well, if you notice in Romans chapter one, verse one, right? We'll just skip everything and jump to Romans if everybody wants to do that. We have Paul, a servant. So Paul refers to himself in the same, using the same Greek word doulos, right? Okay. And then we have Romans six. Yes. Well, it kind of makes a statement, know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey his servants, ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of, of obedience unto righteousness. All right. Okay. That's not, I mean, we, we, there's a whole lot there we can talk about. Okay. Okay. Okay, we this may work even better. Here we go. Ephesians 6 6. All right. Now, what's interesting 
is you could you could get into a whole discussion if you go just just before we get to Ephesians six six. Does everyone see a problem in the book of Galatians? <laughs> okay, Galatians four seven. Wherefore there are no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> that one could cause a little bit of problem. Wait a minute, we're not called to be a servant. But then immediately in, in Ephesians 6, 6, we are called, what does it say? Well, it, I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying it does immediately. You have to stop and go, wait a minute. So I'm not a servant, but I am a servant. So I'm not like, how do we understand this? Okay, like, how, how does this work? But in Ephesians 6, we're clearly referenced there as a servant, right? Agreed. And it uses doulos. Any, anybody has a, a different one? Really, Ephesians 6.6 6 is the main one, correct? Would everyone agree? Second oh, Timothy 2. Yeah, that's referring to pastors. It's referring to pastors. <laughs> okay. Some may try to make it. Okay. Right? Vision 6.6, 6, is, is that really the best one? It's just, it's just an interesting concept because a lot of times it will just be preached like, hey, we're doulos, we're to be servants, we're to be the same thing. Well, I always, you know, what I always like to do is, is look and look and look. A lot of those references are to a lot of things. Now, 1 Peter 2.16, what does it say? Okay, all right, there we go. First Peter 2.16. Is it used doulos? Okay. I want to make sure it uses doulos. Okay, so there's, there would be two verses that would imply that we're servants. Okay, and we don't need, we don't need more, but we, we, if you got another one. Oh, yeah, all the apostles did. There's no question. Yeah, so clear, clearly pastors are to be doulos. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. If you're an actual servant, yeah, then you're a doulos, right? But I think we have two passages that seem to expand it to us. Ephesians 6.6, 6, and was that Second Peter? 2.16. Seems to um, expand the application to us. All right? I'll see, and uh, let's see if anybody else offered any others. See if anyone offered any others. Ooh, uh, Twyla offered Colossians 3. Okay, Colossians 3.22. Okay, well, that's servants obey uh, in all things your masters, according to the flesh, not with eye service as man pleases, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. I think that's referring to actual servants there. And then uh, you, you said 1 Peter 2.16 or 2 Peter? Uh, Twyla has 1 Peter here. Look at 1 Peter. First Peter, 
Okay, it's First Peter two sixteen. All right, First Peter two sixteen. Okay, First Peter. All right. Okay, what do we have in Revelation? What do we have? Okay, and servants there is doulos. Yep. All right. Okay. Okay. Revelation to 22.3. Okay. All right. That, that seems to have a broader application than just pastors. Right. Uh, yeah. So um, I think we I think it would be safe to say, I think, uh, can we agree that doulos would refer to us as well, that as Christians, we are called to be his servants. So we should see ourselves as individuals who have done what? Yeah, you, you can go back to the, the, the definition that we've given up our will for the will of Christ and that we've we've given up our interest for his interest. Now, the question is, and we have to ask ourselves, it's one thing to say that, right? It's far another, it's, it's a far different thing to, to do it, to live that way, to truly have that mindset. It's very easy to say, hey, I've, I've, I can say in theory, I've given up my will for his will, and I've sacrificed my interest for his interest. But typically, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we, and Sunday, in many cases as well, we live our life f- focused on whose will? Our will and whose interest? Our interest. Right? I mean, and sometimes it can come down to something as, look, it can, it can be tested in simple ways, Right? It can be tested in simple ways. Sunday. Do you get up and go to church or do you stay home? If you, if you, if you don't get up and go, whose interest are you serving? Whose will are you serving? Now, I'm not saying if you're, if you're not capable of coming because of, you know, I'm talking just in a normal situation. That demonstrates it. We can go on and on and on. On a, it doesn't matter what. It doesn't matter what's going on on any day. You choose constantly whose will and whose interest you're focused on. And I will th- argue that in most of our lives, it's our will and our interest, and there's just no way to get around that. It shouldn't be that way, but it's the case. Jude identifies himself as doulos, demonstrating, and, and we could, we could, well. Well, we'll see, just remember the form of, uh, think of it this way. I'll ask this question. We'll just ask this question. How important is the cons, how important is it for Christians to see themselves as doulos when facing an invasion and an insurgency? I think that's an important question. How important is it for Christians to see themselves as doulos and at, 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 when facing an invasion and insurgency? I, I think in, in the military, this is important. Um, you have to, when, when the military is getting ready to go you know, into any kind of battle, there has to be a, you have to convince the people to some way, shape, or form, now you can whether say truthfully, whether you can say whether it's propaganda, whatever, uh, you have to convince the people that the cause is of such great 
value that the people in the military are willing to sacrifice their life for that particular cause. Right? I mean, you've got to convince the people, hey, you're, we're getting ready to land on the beach and we're going we're gonna to move forward and we may die, but the cause is worth your life. That, you've got to convince people of that. If you don't convince people of that, what happens? They won't fight. They'll turn around. You've got to convince them of that. That's hard to convince them of. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget when I was in the NCO Academy. And they sometimes refer to those academies in the military to, to re-blue you, right? It's the idea that they got to get you recommitted to the military, recommitted to the military, recommitted to the military, right? And I, I never was really, I wasn't good for, for these military games, right? Because I, I typically just, it, it, didn't, it didn't really work well, very well with me. But so we're there and we're, I, we're in this place. It's like a kind of a, wherever the, the lecture is taking place, I guess it's where like all the students could come. So it's kind of like a theater kind of setting. And they're up there and they, I think they were trying to show us some, I, I think it was from a movie where there was like, you know, from like Gladiator or something about, you know, okay, Passion for your country and for your fellow man and, you know, war, you know, be like the cry of a warrior. And they, and there was this phrase, I don't even remember the phrase, and they kept wanting everyone to yell it, like, you know, for country, for, for, you know, and trying to get us all patriotic and, you know, we're willing to die for our country. And, well, one, it wasn't working very well because I think a lot of the people were like, what is this, right? I was clearly like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. And I didn't really play along. And they got very frustrated with everyone. Uh, some of the people were like doing it, but it was like, it was just like, it was clearly an attempt to try to manipulate and brainwash, right? And I don't, I don't like that in any way, shape or form, right? It's like playing games. And like, I know what I want to do is go home. That's what I want to do. Cause I, this is just ridiculous. But I understand the military has to do that, right? Because you've got to have people committed. But in some cases, it just feels like, manipulation just to get you to go run off on a beach and die, right? And now sometimes the cause may be just, sometimes the cause can be extremely questionable, right? Again, going in, uh, we could get into all of my discussions about my views on different military conflicts that the country has had. But in this particular case, I think you can see why this would be important. If you don't see yourself as doulos, willing to give up your will and your interests for the cause of Christ, you're probably not going to be that involved in defending, fighting, standing, or even caring if false teaching is sweeping across the church. Most Christians don't care. Hey, I, I could bring a stack of books going, here are the books, here are the Christian books on the best-selling list, and they're all apostate. And most Christians would be like, eh, I don't care. Eh, whatever. Right? There, there's a lack of concern for many Christians about the state of things. And they don't care to fight it, to worry about it, to engage it. They just want to move on with their life. That, this is important, though, in a letter where it's a survival manual trying to defend the church for its own protection. You've got to have something, people who are got a do-loss kind of mindset. Does that make sense in the context of the letter? All right, I, because I want you to understand that the, I want you to understand the phrase in the context of the letter. Okay, now let's go back. Okay, let me check here, make sure. All right, uh, Stacy said you have to uh, you have to keep the mission in mind and 
And to truly do it, you have to believe in the cause. And that's true. You've got to have the mission in mind, and you've got, to, you've got to believe in the cause. You have to believe in the cause. If you don't, you're not... I mean, put it this way, the, the Christian army, if you think of it as the Christian army, I don't know how committed we are to the cause. And, and I think that, that bring, brings up lots of problems. All right, go back to Jude. Go back to Jude. All right. What's the first way he identifies himself as? Doulos, or servant of Jesus Christ. Please note that we, sir, it, that, that we are doulos to Jesus Christ. It's our will for Christ's will. It's our interest for his interest. You've got to see that. It's not just, I'm a servant. It's a servant of a specific, of Christ, of the eternal Son of God. Does everybody see that? Right? Now, what's the next way he identifies himself? Brother of James. Brother of James. Now, this is interesting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow from uh, God's Masterwork, a, a book right here, because I think it's interesting. You can tell me what you, if, if you think this is interesting or not. Here we go. You ready? Jude introduces himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ, or doulos, slave, and brother of James. The James is the same man who wrote the book of James, and both of them were Jesus' half-brother. And they said to see Matthew, you can look at these. Everybody look these up really quick. Look at Matthew 13, 55 and Mark 6, 3. Matthew 13, 55 and Mark 6, 3. And you tell me what you find. All right. Mark 13, 55 and Mark 6, 3. You tell me what you've discovered there. All right, there you go. All right, what do we have in Mark 6, 3? What do you have in Mark 6, 3? So Matthew 13, 55, it identifies his brothers, right? And then what do we have in Mark 6, 3? Same account, and how does it read? All right. Now, we say half-brother because although James and Jude and Jesus shared the same mother, Jesus obviously had a heavenly father. Jesus is the eternal son of God. All right? Everybody got that? Now, why, why is this significant, you think? What, what do we possibly gain from this? That, that in a roundabout way, Jude is identifying himself as the half-brother of Jesus in a roundabout way, but he's doing so through his connection with whom? James, his brother. All right? So what would be an obvious question that you would ask yourself at this point, a good Bible student? Well, we could do that, but I think almost, we, we've already talked about in our overview that we're pretty sure that this is the James that's being referred to here. Okay? What would be a good question that we'd ask ourselves? 
why didn't you just simply say, I'm the half-brother of Jesus? Wouldn't that be a good question to ask? So why do you think he didn't just say, I'm the half-brother of Jesus? Why did he draw the connection to James and not necessarily directly to Jesus? When it comes to Jesus, how did he, or how did he identify his relationship to Jesus? I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave. I'm doulos. Why, did he, why does he not identify his connection with Jesus as being the half-brother? Well, this is how this reads. Why? Because they asked the question, why didn't Jude list his kinship with Jesus? Now, this is what, this is their speculation. Okay, right. So why do they not do this? This is, now, which leads Catholics to argue a whole different concept, but we won't get into that, all right? But here we are. Most likely, this is what they claim, modesty and reverence constrained him from boasting in it. But also, he was more than a brother of Jesus. He was a disciple, which is a stronger tie than blood. That's the assertion they make. So, we'll, we'll look at the second part. Let's look at the first part. They're claiming that this is a sign of great humility. Hey, everyone, you need to know that I am a servant. I'm a doulos of Christ and he's not going to emphasize his kinship with Christ in an earthly way. Like, in other words, I'm not going to focus on the fact that I'm, I'm the half-brother. I'm going to focus that I'm on doulos, because that's how we all need to see ourselves as a servant. Right? So, all right, po- possibly, and that he's demonstrating humility here. He's demonstrating a right perspective of his relationship. But they, they, they make a different claim here that he does so because, and again, I'm going to read this again, that he was more than a brother. He was a disciple, which is a stronger tie than blood. Now, that's a big claim. So let's ask ourselves this question. Is it true that a disciple has a stronger tie or a stronger relationship than brother. Do what? Ah, very good. That's found in, I think, Matthew. How about, I think, let's go to Matthew. See, I, think, I think I have the reference written down in my notes. I think I put a little note here. Here. Because that's a very important concept. Very important that we don't forget this. Matthew, yeah, look at Matthew 10, 35. Matthew 10, 35. Matthew 10, 35. All right, we can go back to uh, verse 34, Matthew 10, 34. Everybody there? Think not that I've come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man at variance against his father, his daughter, her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foe shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father, mother, more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
So Jesus identifies that what is that you are not to allow family connection is not as important. In other words, you are to set family connection aside for what connection? Discipleship or that. So, so they're making the claim that, hey, he's putting, he's not going to put the emphasis, hey, I'm the half-brother. He's going to put the emphasis that I'm a servant. I'm a follower of Christ. Being a disciple is a different, I, I, I hate to say this, I mean, uh, it's even true even with discipleship though. So I don't even know, I don't know. I have kind of, it, it preaches good, but here's my issue, all right? So just, it, it sounds good, doesn't it, right? Hey, he doesn't refer to himself as a half-brother because he's a disciple, and the disciple, that's a closer tie than a brother. Okay, I, I do understand that a little bit, but let's make it very clear. Family members can stab you in the back, lie about you, hate you, turn against you, and abandon you, yes? So can a disciple, Right? Judas was a disciple, betrayed him. Peter was a disciple, denied him. Almost all the disciples when Jesus died did what? Ran and hid. All right, so clearly being a disciple doesn't guarantee. So I'm not, I, it, that preach is so good, right? Hey, I'm not going to focus on, you know, my blood connection because I'm a disciple and that is, that is a stronger connection. I, I, I don't know. I'm going to argue, I'm going to argue this. Why he doesn't do it, I think it has to be more because of humility's sake. It has to be for, for just to be humble. All right? But in a roundabout way, I don't even know if that works. I, sometimes we look for a spiritual lesson maybe when there's not a spiritual lesson. The minute he says he's the brother of James, and if everyone understands James to be the brother of the Lord, in a roundabout way, is he not drawing his family connection? Right. I mean, I know we want to make it sound like, oh, we get, we need to preach a sermon here, right? We got to preach it. Sometimes pastors are so much con- concerned with preaching a sermon, right, that they will find a sermon maybe where there's not a sermon. I'm just going to say when when he says he's a brother of James, is he not drawing a, a, attention to his family connection? Well, obviously, right? If he's saying he's the brother of James, he's drawing a, he's drawing his family connection. So we can sit there and go, well, why didn't he say he's the half-brother of Jesus? I think in a roundabout way, saying he's the brother of James, he kind of is doing that. So, because my question would be, look, if he's, if he's so worried that he's going to not come across this humble, why even mention James? But what difference does it make that he's the brother of James? Does that help his, does that give him some greater level of credibility? How did Jesus? How did his brothers uh, treat Jesus when Jesus was on Earth? They they, they 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 rejected him, right? Okay, so like, what what what's the what's the reason for saying, "Hey, I'm the brother of James"? Yeah. So I'm just saying that, like, on one hand, we want to say, well, see, he's being so humble. He doesn't want anyone to see his family connection. But then he comes right out there and gives the family connection, yes? So then what's the significance of the family connection? Other than just something to place in the, in other words, I would say this. 
Maybe he gives the family connection. Well, I'll see if anybody else can come up with it. Why would he give the family connection? Why would he give the family connection? Let's see if anyone can come up with a good reason why. Why? There you go. Good. That's what I was looking for. He's giving the family connection to identify who he is. It's an attempt for the people to know, oh, that Jude, the Jude who is related to James. It's, to a, it's an identifier. Now, he could have said half-brother of Jesus. He could have. But by identifying with James. Now, he may have picked James because, as you said, James may have been a more well-known figure at the time, right? James may have played a, be- a better role. Do this. Do this really quick. Everybody got a Bible dictionary? Okay, right. Well, yeah, not, not in this, this, their context, right? So do, do this really quick. Grab a Bible dictionary. All right. Oh, man, we're at right, 11 o'clock already. All right. uh, grab a Bible dictionary really quick. Yeah, I'm hearing all kinds of cars. Okay. Uh, Bible dictionary really quick. Just really fast. Look up the entry for Jude and look up an entry for James. Not Jude the book, Jude the person. All right. We'll do this really quick. This is very important to try to figure out. All right? I know I'm, going, I'm, going, I'm destroying a lot of, of, of sermons that people preach on this book, but that's okay. All right. So what does the entry say for uh, J- James? What does it say for James? All right, now stop right here. There's five men in the New Testament James. So simply saying that I'm the brother of James, clearly there had to be a James that rose above the other James to such prominence that by telling them that, that it had some connection. So what does it say about the different men? Can you? Imagine having that name. You're James the Less, okay? James is called the son of Mary, not the mother of Jesus, and the brother of Joseph. James, Mark refers to him as James the Less. Okay, next. James, the father of Judas, that is and Acts 1. Judas was one of the 12 apostles. Okay. And then James, the brother of Jesus. All right. And does it say anything about the James, the brother of Jesus, having some level of prominence in the early church? Does it say anything just quickly in the entry? I know it's a long entry. He's a witness to the resurrection. Witness to the resurrection. Uh, Paul, Paul's James, an apostle. Okay. Okay, but has have some apostolic authority possible. There we go. So he becomes a leader of the church. So that, that if he if that's the James that we're referring to, that would have some connection. What does it say about Jude? Uh, most significant thing I found in the very last sentence. He says, uh, uh, "If Jude, Judas, the brother of James, uh, and Jesus, Jude did not believe in him." John seven five until after Jesus' resurrection. Okay, all right. Does it say there's a lot of people named Jude? Uh, no, actually no. Okay, all right. So they identify one Jude, one Jude, and Jude says he's the brother of James, and there's at least five people in the New Testament named 
James. Clearly, if he's just going to name it, it has to be someone significant. And James, the brother of Jesus, seems to be the significant one because he rises to the level of some significance in the early church. I think what he's doing is he's simply trying to identify himself. Right? I know it's, it's, it's better to preach it going, see, he's showing such great... Human, because we just had servant, we can make that applicable to us, right? So we want to make the fact that he doesn't refer to himself as the half-brother, we want to make that a spiritual lesson. What I want you to see is sometimes you got to... Pastors want sermons sometimes more than they want to deal with the text. If we're going to deal with the text, I think it's just very practical. He's just identifying himself. Hey guys, I'm that Jude. The Jude who's related to James. No, the James who's one of the leaders of the early church. That James. That would make sense. Now you would think he could have identified James a little better, but clearly he doesn't feel the need to do so. It's an identifier. I don't think there's some... <clears throat> I know we can try to find some great spiritual lesson in it. I think it's just an identifier is what I think. All right? We'll have to stop there. We didn't get very far, did we? No. So I'm going to have to go put part one on this because uh, I thought I was so convinced that we were going to finish the entire greeting. I really was, uh, which was uh, a, a, a fool, all right? Uh, that's interesting. Uh, Twyla offered the idea, maybe, maybe only true believers would know brother, uh, that, that the brother of James is the brother of Christ. Maybe, like, to Sam, the brother of James that only, only believers would really know who, that, that family connection. That's a possibility. But I think it's just, I think he's just trying to identify himself. But we'll stop right there. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Lord, I pray that we would hopefully consider ourselves as true servants of you and your son and the Holy Spirit and that we would not see you as our servant. Sometimes that is a problem that we, I think we all fall into. Forgive us for when we do that. And help us see ourselves in a correct way. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...